Good morning to you. All right, we're going to work this. We'll work it. We're all good? Everybody good? All right, good to see you. Thanks for allowing me to come back. A couple of things you learned. Amen. So this time, uh, uh, not only did I bring my lovely wife, but I brought my two beautiful daughters that are here with me also. You guys want to stand up real quick? One is uh, graduating high school this year. The other is going from eighth grade to high school. So uh, that's going to be good. We'll just work with this. It's all right. We'll work with it. So this is a, a great time to be here. This is uh, Black History Month for all of us. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons to celebrate Black History Month. But I have a couple of reasons specifically that I like to think about when it comes to Black History Month. Uh, you know, yesterday was uh, Rosa Parks' birthday, and a uh, strong, strong woman. Now, not just black woman, but strong woman overall for the country. And so that is definitely something to celebrate, uh, February 4th, her birthday. But uh, also, this upcoming Wednesday is also another national holiday, and that is my birthday, uh, this upcoming Wednesday. And... Uh, I've been working 40 years to try to get the government to make that a national holiday, but uh, they haven't answered my calls or returned my email, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, uh, that's all good. So let's jump into it, because I know y'all are waiting for the Super Bowl. I ain't either. Trust me, I ain't either. Turn over to Mark chapter 1. I want to share some... Uh, some things with us today that I think will be uh, very appropriate, not just because it's Black History Month, but because of our salvation in Jesus. Amen. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus tells, as he's calling his first disciples, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is important because Jesus gives us, first of all, a purpose. And our purpose is to follow him. That's the first thing he said. Come follow me. In other words, he wants us to imitate him. He wants us to walk as he walked, talked as he talked, thought as he thought, loved as he loved. He wants us to imitate and reflect him. So if you already are a disciple of Jesus, a son or daughter of God, you need to be happy in your salvation. You need to rejoice that you have a purpose. You're not just walking around wondering what is life all about. You know what life is all about. But he also gives us a mission. And he gives us a mission to go out and to be fishers of men. In other words, to go out and to help those that have not come into a relationship with him to get a relationship with him. And this is what I want to talk to us about today. About our mission in Christ. Because we all know it, but sometimes we need a a little reminder. We need a, a refresher course. You know how when you're doing something, you need like a refresher course to make sure you're still up to par? We need to make sure we still have everything together when it comes to our focused mission for Christ. You guys ever hear of Joe Lewis? Great, great, phenomenal boxer. Well, Joe Lewis had a fight with a guy named Tutan Tony Gelanto. He was from New Jersey, actually. And Lewis was favored to win. Everybody, the, all the bookies had him favored, the fans, everybody had him favored. So he goes out to fight two-ton Tony, and in the first round, in the middle of the round, Tony throws his so-called Sunday haymaker, 
and hits Joe Lewis and sends him to the mat. And Joe Lewis, is, he's more shocked and surprised than he is hurt. So he doesn't even wait for the count. He gets right back up and, and starts fighting again. So at the end of the round, his manager calls him to the corner and just starts scolding him on the fact, why didn't you stay down? Why didn't you wait till nine to get up? And he said, why should I stay down and let him rest? He was so upset because he knew he was better than two-ton Tony, and it just aggravated him that he got this sucker punch in and knocked him to the mat. Well, needless to say, as the fight went on, Joe Lewis won by TKO. It was just a done deal. But the thing that's interesting about that is he knew he was better than his opponent. He knew in his mind. He knew physically. He knew what everybody had said. He knew he was better than his opponent. Now, the thing about that, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Not only was Joe Lewis better than his opponent, but in 2 Corinthians 10, God tells us that we, you and I, are better than our opponent. That we can overcome our opponent. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul tells us that we have weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says you have the ability to overcome your opponent. Now that's great news. He says, God has said, I've given you the ability to overcome your opponent. But here's the thing. We don't always feel like we have that ability to overcome our opponent. You don't feel like that when your marriage is having issues. You don't feel like that when your kids are having issues. You don't feel like that when you're having financial troubles. Or when you go to the doctor and he gives you a bad health report. You don't feel like that when people are attacking the church. When people are saying things negative. You don't feel like that when you're trying to invite somebody to study the Bible and they keep making excuse after excuse for why they won't come to church or study the Bible. At those times, you don't feel like you can overcome your opponent. But let me remind you of what he says here. He says, if we fight the way we should, we cannot lose against our opponent. Now, here's the thing. Who is our opponent? Who is our enemy? Satan. Satan. Actually, his name means adversary. That's who Satan is. Look over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you know what? Your spouse is not your enemy. 
Your kids aren't your enemy. The government isn't your enemy. Your co-workers isn't your enemy. The people that make excuses all the time, they're not your enemy. Satan is the enemy. And that's who we need to understand. That's who our battle is against. It's against Satan. It's not against your spouse. You know what? All those people are named, they may annoy you. Let's just be honest. They can get on your nerves at times. But they're not your enemy. And this is what he's telling us. Our enemy, our fight is against Satan. So the question is, how do you fight Satan? Well, you don't. You say, oh, wait a minute, he done got hit too many times in his head. You don't fight Satan. You do not fight Satan. Look over in Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter, but Jude. Look right before Revelation, Jude. It's only one chapter, so we're going to look at verse 9. It says here, well, let's just start at verse 8. Let me give you the whole story here. Sorry about that, sound crew. I messed you up a little bit, but. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All-powerful Archangel Michael. He's disputing over the body of Moses. But when it came time to really battle in Satan, he didn't do it himself. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He said, this is the Lord's fight against Satan. And the Lord has already won the fight, but the Lord's fight is against Satan. That's not my battle. That's not your battle. The battle is the Lord's battle against Satan. And this is what we've got to understand. We can contend with Satan as he's throwing his flame and arrows and temptations. Yeah, we resist those things. But battle against Satan himself is for the Lord to do. And when you turn it over to the Lord, look at what he promises us. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 18. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the devil and the evil one cannot harm him. So what is he saying? He said, listen, if you turned your life over to me, you committed yourself to me, you can contend with Satan, but you don't have to fight him, because I'm going to make sure the victory is won, and you will not be harmed. Now that's just my intro. We just get started. The party just getting started now. Because if we're not to fight Satan, but he's given us all these tools to demolish strongholds and do all that, why do we have these ability to demolish strongholds and, the, and the, to go against every pretense that sets itself up against the Lord? Well, it's very simple. Look over at Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi, they had all these temples set up and idols. And Jesus said to his disciples, who do these people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And look at what he says in verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. He says, listen, Peter... You are what I'm going to build my church on. Well, who's his church? You are his church. I'm his church. We are his church. 
The blood of Jesus built this right here. The world didn't build this. Man didn't build this. The blood of Jesus built everything you see right here, right now. Now, he built this, and he says, you know what? The gates of Hades will not overcome his church. Now, what are gates used for? Gates are used to, to clear off boundary lines. They're used to, first of all, keep something in or keep something out. Gates are set up to show your territory. And so he's saying the gates of Hades is going to keep marching and keep marching. But you know what? It cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. It cannot overcome the kingdom of God. Our battle is not against Satan. Our battle is against the gates of Hades that's trying to take over and infiltrate the kingdom of God. And this is what we've got to understand. This stronghold, this, this thing. So what are we supposed to do? Just go out there and bang on gates? What's the use of just banging on a gate for no reason? No, no, there's a big reason why we bang on these gates. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. It says, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Why are we banging on those gates? Because behind those gates are people that have been taken captive to Satan. He's disrupted their mind. He's disrupted their life. He has taken them captive. Your job, my job, is to bang on the gates with the word of God. To bang on the gates with discipleship. To bang on the gates and show them the kingdom. You bang on those gates and all of a sudden the little door starts to open up. And sometimes you got to reach in there and grab some of them people from behind that gate and pull them out of the gates of hell. And sometimes you open the door a little bit and they come running out there, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. That's what the gates are about. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, what, what do we have this? This is why he gave us the power to overcome the gates of Hades. Because you know that's the only thing that's going to happen. We have the power to overcome the gates of Hades. This is what you got to understand. We can overcome. When you go to work, it's not just somebody sitting behind a cubicle. They're behind a gate. They're on the wrong side of the gate. Their kids aren't just sitting at a desk in class. They're behind the gate. They're on the wrong side of the gate. You go to your family member's house, it's not just a door. They're behind the gate. You got to stop looking at people as, oh, look at old Billy. Look at Jamal. They're behind the gates. You got to understand. And that's what we have the power and ability to do. We can overcome those gates at school. Overcome those gates at work. Overcome those gates at home. We shall overcome. You got to understand. This is what Jesus gives us. The power to overcome all those fears. All those insecurities. He said, I'm giving you that power to demolish it. Not just step over the gate. He wants you to crush that bad boy. And make sure you know this is what God is giving you the power to do. This is what he's telling each and every one of us. And the song says, we shall overcome someday. I believe in my heart. Do you believe in your heart? That God has given you the power, the ability, and the mission 
to break down those strongholds and to set the captives free. You got to ask yourself, that's what your life is all about. Setting captives free. Free at last. This isn't just something that we use back in the slave days. People are slaves today to sin. We've got to understand we need to set people free today. Well, you say, well, what if they don't want to be free? Well, look over in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. There are those who do not want to escape. They want to stay on the other side of the gates because they're so trapped in their sinful lives that they don't see or believe that there's hope. You know what? The keys to those gates is your life and my life. He said, Peter, I'm giving you the keys. You know what the keys are? You become a disciple of Jesus and they see your marriage, your family, Your attitude at work, your attitude in the world, your attitude against society. And each of those things are keys to open the gate for them to get out of their trapment. See, if you're living the right life, reflecting Jesus, which is why he said, come follow me first. And if you're reflecting Jesus, then they're going to say, you know what? There's something different about that person. And I want to find out what it is. See, your life is the key. Some of us don't even realize the valuables you have. But I guarantee you, if you go out to your car and you reach down and you don't have your keys, oh, you're going to wake up real quick. (laughs) Well, oh, oh my goodness, what happened? What's going on? But is that how we are in our lives right now? I ain't reading my Bible. I haven't shared my faith like I need to. What's going on? Do we have the same reactions when our lives don't match as if you lost your keys to your car? See, it's about your life. That's the key to open the gates for anybody. You know, I, I grew up, it was eight of us. I was the youngest of eight kids, five girls and three boys. And uh, we were not a very wealthy family. And sometimes my mom will be in there cooking something, and she'll plug in the toaster and the curling iron at the same time, and the fuse will blow. Poof. Maurice, go downstairs. So I'm running downstairs, and I flick the breaker switch. Don't act like y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're like, okay, let's just be honest here. We all talking about the same thing. And I go back upstairs, and they're doing all that, and then somebody turn on the fan. The lights go out again. I'm running back downstairs. I do that four or five times a day. See, the issue really isn't our breaker box. The issue is the wiring in the house. And I can flick that box as many times as I want. It's not going to change until we fix the wiring in our house. Without Jesus, people are miswired. And they're trying to flick that switcher box. They're trying to change this and change that and change this and change that. And it's not going to change until they get rewired in their heart and their minds. And we've got to get rewired. Rewired as well. When it comes to our mission for Christ. Because sometimes we lose focus on what our mission is about. Sometimes we think our mission is still about us. 
Make sure we're doing okay. You know, Jesus said, die to self, deny self daily. It's not about us. Our mission is about opening those gates and setting those captives free. You got to ask yourself, when was the last time I unlocked a gate for somebody? When was the last time my life, my marriage, my family was a key that made somebody interested in God? See, this is so important because people can put on a, a good front, but yet they can be so scared of dying. It's amazing. Even some people can proclaim to be Christians, but sometimes go to bed wondering, if I were to die, what would really happen to me? Look over in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, the message of Jesus crucified, buried, and raised from the dead offers mankind a solution to their fear of death. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection says, listen, you, my son and daughter, you one day will rise with Christ just as I rose. And that you will one day be set free from this earthly life. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A little bit before Hebrews. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, it says there's going to be a day that the dead will rise, that Jesus is going to come down, the clouds are going to part. When is that day? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows but God. But it said that day is going to come. So there's a, there are millions of people trapped behind the gates. The very same gates, again, that Jesus said he's given us the power to demolish. That those gates cannot overcome his kingdom. Those are the words in red. Those words of Jesus, they cannot overcome. So you got to understand, okay, our mission, again, is to help those millions of people. And what is the answer? Jesus is the answer. For every single person, Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you look like, Jesus is still the answer for your life. Look in John 16, verse 33. You say, man, we're doing a lot of Bible scriptures. That's what you, that's what you do in a Bible church, isn't it? John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Who's overcome the world? Jesus. Who gave us the power to break down strongholds? Jesus. Who has told us this is what you need to do to be safe? Jesus. Our repeated message in our life needs to be Jesus. Our message is it, and we do have 
a great church in New York City. That's not the message you need to tell people. The message you need to tell them is Jesus. You don't need to go to work and say, man, my church is so great. Come to my church. You need to help them see, no, Jesus is so great. You need to come experience Jesus. We don't have to go to work or school the next day and say, boy, you need to come to my church. We got a good-looking preacher. (laughs) Sam Powell. (laughs) No, what you need to say is you need to come and see Jesus. Well, I can't go to your church. Well, how about you look at me? Let your life be the church for them. Jesus is the keys for breaking open those gates. So this is what we all need to understand. We are the keys. Look in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You have to ask yourself, what does Jesus mean to you? And when you realize what Jesus means to you, that is the message you share. If Jesus helped you out of a drug-infected life, that's the message you share. If Jesus restored your family, that's the message you share. If Jesus helped you overcome anything, that's the message you share. See, sharing your faith isn't here as an invitation card. Sharing your faith is sharing you. Sharing what Jesus has done for you in your life. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. You know what John said? John didn't go out there and say, you know what, guys, I have a great theology that I think we should all look at, because there's a plethora of information for you to understand. (laughs) He didn't say, look at my church, guys. This is awesome. Let's go in the desert and worship. His message wasn't about his church, his theology, or his thoughts. His message was about Jesus. This is what I heard. This is what I've seen. This is what I've touched. The message he's proclaiming is about Jesus. And this is what we need to understand. Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 here for a minute. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. The Lord's calling somebody. I'm just saying, you better answer that call, whoever you are. Don't be picking up. Wrong number, Jesus. No. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So, we're going to battle. Let's take a look at what are the weapons that the world uses. Because these are some things we've got to contend against. Look over in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 19. These are the weapons of the world. You say, well, I'm not sure I understand. I can see the weapons clearly. Well, verse 19 says the acts of the simple nature are obvious. I think we can see that pretty clearly. Sexual immorality. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
You know what that means? That means wide is the gate. And Satan is opening up that gate. And you know what he has on the other side of the gate? He's pulling you in with sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, jealousy, discord, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, dead life. He's pulling people through the gate with these very sins right here. And he is sucking people into his kingdom. Listen to me. If you feel yourself being pulled by one of these things, impurity, debauchery, selfishness, you need to get some help. You know, you go to the grocery store and you see a little kid not wanting to leave and they screaming and fighting and you got mama dragging them on in there. That's what needs to happen. When you feel yourself being pulled, you need to call on a brother or sister. Come save me. Help me. Grab my hand. Pull me back. Do something. But don't get sucked into that gate because that's what he's doing. And we've got to wake up to what's going on. You can't do this by yourself. We all need people in our lives helping us to have a clear focus. Now, I want you to close your Bibles for a minute here. Yeah, even in church. Close your Bibles up. Close your notebooks, because I want you to picture something in your mind for a minute. You ain't got to close your eyes, but just picture this. Because none of us know when Jesus is coming back. But what we do know is that each of us knows somebody, whether it's at school, at work, in your family, who are on the wrong side of the gates. So I want you to picture that person. And I want you to just picture in your mind, you're asking them to come and study the Bible. And as you ask them to study the Bible, they actually says yes. And Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God, looks over at God and says, is it time? And he says, no, not yet, son. And as you start studying the Bible, they make a commitment. They say, you know what? I'm ready to give up these things in my life. I'm ready to truly be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus looks over at God and says, is it time, Dad? And he says, no, not yet, son. And then you say, you know what? This is what you want? Then let's do it. And then you walk them down to church, and they're ready to get baptized, and they're standing up in front of everybody, and that person said, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus looks over at God and says, is it time? And he says, no, not yet, son. And then you take them on down there, you take them in the waters of baptism, and then they come up out the waters, and everybody's yelling and screaming, and Jesus looks over at God and says, is it time? And he says, son, blow the trumpet, pass the clouds, the time has come. Go get them. Go bring them home. The time has come. Bring them home. Set them free. Set them free. Bring home my sons and daughters. To God be the glory. Amen. 